thank you for listening to the only podcast dedicated to the business of pharmacy. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Show. You can find all of our episodes at pharmacypodcast.com. Welcome back to the Pharmacy Podcast. Thanks for coming back, all you listeners. You've made the show, the audio blog, uh, a joy for me. I've uh, gotten so many um, great uh, feedback and comments on the show over the years. And I'm so excited about 2016. Um, This is winding down our last show for January 2016 with a very um, dedicated sponsor to the show. I'd like to extend a special thanks to Live Oak Bank, Mr. Jimmy Neal, and his family of dedicated supporters of independent pharmacy. Uh, They are a bank designed for pharmacy owners. They understand the business. They are sponsoring today's show. This is the health policy checkup segment with government affairs strategist Ron Lanton. He interviews Susan Pilch, Vice President of Policy and Regulatory Affairs of the NCPA about direct and indirect remuneration fees, which has always been hard for me to understand. The term was coined by CMS related to Medicare Part D benefit to address price concessions, things like drug manufacturer rebates, really a catch-all. So Susan is going to talk with Ron and describe this mysterious fee, what this means for a pharmacy business owner, next up on the Pharmacy Podcast. Welcome to Health Policy Checkup. I'm your host, Ron Lanson, president of True North Political Solutions. And today we have Susan Pilch, Vice President of Policy and Regulatory Affairs at the National Community Pharmacists Association. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Ron. How are you? I'm doing great, and I'm glad you were able to come on our show today. Yes, absolutely. Well, since I know you, but our listeners probably do not, um, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Mm, certainly. So, as you mentioned, I'm Vice President of Policy and Regulatory Affairs for the National Community Pharmacists Association, or NCPA. I've been with NCPA for about seven years, the past three of which as Vice President. Um, my Really, my whole career has been in the health policy um, and regulatory arena. Um, I have a legal background, um, and I worked for the Maryland um, legislature for a number of years after law school. Um, most recently, or before I worked for NCPA, I was a multi-state lobbyist for uh, representing primary wholesalers or primary pharmaceutical wholesalers. Um, in my current position, I am the primary interface with all of the relevant federal agencies, um, CMS, FDA, DEA, um, as well as I'm also a registered federal lobbyist, so I am on the Hill quite a bit as well. So that kind of sums it all up. Sounds good, and I'm sure you've got your hands full. Absolutely. <laughs> well, good. So I know today we're going to talk about uh, DIR fees. Um, that's going to be what we're that the the conversation for today. If you can start off by telling our listeners what are direct and indirect remuneration fees. So 
the actual term DIR, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, stands for direct and indirect remuneration and was really initially a term coined by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, related to the Part D benefits to address uh, price concessions or really drug manufacturer rebates that would ultimately impact the gross prescription drug costs but were not captured at the point of sale. So even today, plans and PBMs have to submit an annual DAR report to CMS, uh, which CMS then uses to reconcile what is paid to a Part D plan by CMS for a given plan year. However, what we're really talking about here are pharmacy DIR fees, and it sort of has sort of morphed and come to represent a catch-all phrase or a term that really encompasses a number of different types of fees that essentially uh, PBMs do not want to reflect at the point of sale or at a time of adjudication. So for pharmacies, these fees typically show up months or uh, sometime after the time of adjudication. And for what we've seen, typically these sorts of pharmacy DIR fees fall into three different buckets or three different types. The first one uh, would be a pay-to-play fee. So in the Part D space, um, the chance to participate in a preferred network of pharmacy would have to pay a fee. Um, these can be assessed on a per-claim basis or at certain intervals. The second type, and this is probably the most problematic, is uh, what we call a payment reconciliation fee. And really the DIR fee is the result of sort of the reconciliation or a true-up of two different contractual terms. So, for example, it could be um, the MAC rate uh, and some sort of an effective rate, generic effective rate, and there's some sort of reconciliation that shows up after the fact. And the third type, and these are ones that we're probably going to continue to see more of, are DIR fees that are tied to certain performance metrics. Um, so pharmacies are evaluated um, under or compared to other pharmacies in the same network on whatever metric you can possibly think of. Some of these are refill rates, um, generic dispensing rates, um, audit performances, uh, or other quality measures. So a pharmacy's um, performance or on all of, all of these metrics could be tied to um, a reimbursement reduction or theoretically a bonus payment to pharmacy. And I know that's a lot of information I've crammed into a you know, a couple minutes space there, but that, that kind of gives you an overview. That's okay, because we're going to spell out a little bit of those um, issues, and great job explaining that, by the way. This is not the easiest topic to discuss, I, I know. Yeah, it's, it's a bit, bit uh, challenging, yeah. Yeah, to say the least. All right, so let's see if you can answer this question, because I've got some pharmacy clients, and they say, look, as, as always, we're worried about our gross margins. Um, how, how are they realizing, they being the community pharmacists, how are they realizing the impact of these DIR fees? Well, I think probably these DIR fees are really such creating such difficulty for pharmacies, and particularly independent pharmacies, is because of the fact that these fees are assessed retroactively, and pharmacists don't see that at the time of adjudication. Um, and also, you know, some of these fees are assessed on different timetables. Some may be assessed on a quarterly basis, some on a monthly basis. And it's really, really difficult to keep track of that. Also, because of the fact that these fees are assessed retroactively, it is extremely difficult to match up the fee with any particular claim. 
Um, and so it's really, really tough to get their, your arms around the ultimate impact of this. And it really makes it difficult for smaller pharmacies to make any kind of planning decisions, um, you know, keep their, keeping their accounting straight. Um, and in terms of the effect on gross margins, ultimately, you know, they really, as they go along, they really have no real sense of how it's going to come out at the end of the year. And so I think a lot of the ultimate impact of these is only really realized, you know, kind of further down the road, which it makes it very frustrating to deal with. Absolutely. So pharmacy looks to you as NCPA, and they're wondering, what are they doing about DIR scrutiny? Absolutely, and that's a great question. And this is the number one of the number one issues for our members. Um, absolutely, this is what I hear about every day. Um, ultimately, CMS has realized, particularly in the Part D space, that um, these DIR fees are a problem. These pharmacy price concessions are a problem. Um, and actually, a number of, in the, one of the final rules in 2014, they have a new definition of negotiated price within the Part D space. Basically, which, which basically assesses that all these pharmacy price concessions should be included or represented at the point of sale. Now, CMS has followed up on that and they've issued a proposed guidance. Um, about a year ago, that basically says, in their viewpoint, virtually all pharmacy price concessions can be determined at point of sale, and those that can't can be estimated. So we feel that if this, this proposed guidance is finalized, this would at least force PBMs and plans to reflect these fees at the point of adjudication, or at least provide the pharmacies with an estimate so they have a better idea of at the time of adjudication, what that truly means, what their ultimate reimbursement is for that claim. And so we feel that finalization of that guidance would really be helpful. Uh, we've also been making the rounds on the Hill as well to sort of provide congressional support for finalizing this guidance. And I think that's probably our, our biggest push right now is to try to get this that, that guidance secured, which we think would really provide a lot of clarity uh, in the Part D space, at least, and which hopefully would then transfer over to the commercial marketplace. Okay, so we've had um, a new year. Calendars just recently switched over. So 2016 and beyond, do you think the DIR fees are here to stay? Well, it's a good question. Um, and, you know, People have often asked, you know, why are these really taking off now? Why, why are these sort of seem to have exploded? And it's at least my theory that, you know, we've seen a lot of states pass MAC legislation that requires MAC prices, more transparency into how MAC prices are realized, um, pressure to keep them accurate and updated. And it's sort of my theory that in response to these MAC transparency laws, um, you know, that's what has really caused this explosion in this post-adjudication fee structure. Because, think about it, um, if you have these DIR fees, it really allows the PBM to manipulate or keep MAC prices very amenable to the pharmacist. I mean, very generous to the pharmacist. And so the pharmacist adjudicates the claim They that some of these states State laws have appeals processes, 
um, you know, the pharmacist is not going to appeal that claim because it's reasonable. However, wait, you know, a month, two months down the road, they get hit with these huge DIR fees. So it's really just shifted, uh, managed them to obscure the true reimbursement amounts per claim. And I think that's really why we've seen this shift to these post-adjudication fee structures. Um, you know, I think, as you know, Ron, the, um, the new AMP rule FULs are coming out, and we've seen NADAC and other pharmacy pricing benchmarks come out. Um, you know, we could see at some point in time a shift away from the whole MAC pricing construct. Um, so I think this 2016 is going to be a very interesting year to see where this all takes us. So I've got to follow up with something that you said, post-adjudication claim structures, which, I mean, I, I know exactly what that is. Would this be more game playing by a pharmacy benefit manager? Absolutely. Absolutely. It really just allows them to obscure the true reimbursement amount. Because actually, think about it. So you adjudicate the claim, the MAC rate comes through, and you say, oh, that, that seems very reasonable. Um, that seems great. I'm not going to appeal it. However, wait a couple months down the road, you get hit with huge DIR fees. Uh, and that may really reduce your reimbursement on that claim significantly. However, you know, your appeals process time has already expired. You can no longer appeal that. Uh, and so you're stuck. And so absolutely, it's just, this is just an example of the PBMs moving the ball. Um, and so this, you know, it's, again, a, a struggle for our members. And, um, you know, this is really something that we're going to have to keep our eyes on. Exactly. Well, the last question before I ask you for your contact information. Uh, what can a pharmacy do to keep thriving despite DIR fees? Well, first and foremost um, recommendation I would make is for all pharmacists to make sure you know what your contractual terms are. Um, if you do your own contracting or if you have a contracting entity, make sure that you are in constant contact with that entity or you are well aware of what you're signing. Because as I mentioned, some of these DIR fees arise from, you know, a, an effective rate um, being applied or reconciled with an actual MAC rate. So make sure you realize exactly what you're signing. Um, and also, you know, sometimes PBMs um, incorporate things into your contract by reference, um, including network pharmacy manuals. So please make sure you're aware of what those might be. Also, you know, and I, and I think pharmacists just over the past few years, um, there's more of an emphasis on exploring or diversifying revenue streams that are not solely tied to drug or ingredient cost, um, you know, including getting more involved in sort of community pharmacy enhanced service networks for managing chronic disease state, um, collaborative practice agreements with physicians in your communities, other diversified revenue opportunities, immunizations, MTM, pet meds, diabetes classes, uh, holistic services, and just try to diversify some of your revenue streams as well. Great advice. So how does, uh, how does a pharmacy get a hold of you if they have questions? Probably the best way to reach me is through my email here at NCPA, and that is um, Susan, S-U-S-A-N, dot Pilch, P as in Patrick, I-L-C-H, at NCPANet, all one word, dot O-R-G. Uh, please reach out to me, and I'll be happy to get back to you. 
Well, I'm glad to have uh, had you on today's show. I think it was a great interview, Susan. Well, great. Thank you so much. I enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, no problem. And for those that have questions for me offline, you can reach me by email at ronlanton3 at truenorthps, as in politicalsolutions.com, or feel free to follow us on Twitter at truenorth underscore ps. Thanks again, Susan, and we will definitely bring you back on for some follow-up. All right. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Okay, bye-bye.